You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded. My name is Jared Book. Joining me today in our last season preview of the year is Anton Roscoe. Anton, how are you doing? I, I, I want to be called Canadian's expert, Anton Roscoe. Sorry, I mean, yeah, we've all I, I had forgot. all of these experts here now. <laughs> yeah, j- joining me today is is Canadian's expert, <laughs> Anton Roscoe. How are you oh, doing? Thank you very much, Jared. It's an it's a privilege and an honor to be on such a well renowned podcast. Yeah, yeah, this is your first time, I think, on this podcast. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, yeah it feels like it. I mean, I've been gone for a couple of weeks here, and you and Pat have, have done such a great job with the preview series. So it's just great to be back, and it feels like it feels like we're growing into our our suit here. Yeah, we're, we're rounding into regular season form. You know, we've yeah. had our preseason, and now it's it's time for the regular season, and we, we saved the best for last. And if you've been listening to Absent Minded for a while you should be a Canadians fan. So this one is, is going to be fun for you. And, and there's not really much we can teach you on here, but uh, l- let's get started. Obviously the, the roster was set uh, on Tuesday, right? One day before the regular season and no real surprises. I, I think the only surprise is probably that Noah Jolson was claimed off waivers. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised that Florida was the team to to like to actually claim him. I mean, since Shane Churla and company went down to Florida, they know a bit of Noah Jolson, and I bet that they still see that first round pedigree. And you know, he's had bad luck with freak injuries and everything. And 23, 20, almost 24 years old. Let's just hope that it pans out. Otherwise, I mean, it's a it's a cheap risk for Florida to take uh, at this point. I mean, he has a low salary, a low cap hit and everything, and he's on a short deal. So if it pans out, great for Florida, uh, and it will look bad partly on the Canadians. But at the same time, as we've spoken about, like in our chat, in our internal chat and everything, like there are a lot of Canadians defensemen who are, I mean, as young or even younger, and there was really no fit for Noah Jolson at this point. So if he wasn't a first round draft pick, would people still be upset? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, they'd be upset, but not as upset. And, you know, it's, it's such a weird situation, right? Because Jolson was, you know, at the time of the injury, a top six NHL defenseman. But the, the organization is in a much different space than it was when he got hurt. You know, forget about the the emergence of Alexander Romanov or Kale Fleury, who are both behind him in the depth chart at that point. You know, forget about the additions of, of Ben Chirot, Joel Edmondson, you know, Xavier Ouellette even was uh, in the organization. There's, there's just so many guys who are in that mix that you couldn't just have Noah Jolson sitting on your your roster not playing or you know there's no there's no way you can have him ahead of Romanov or Edmondson right now either so it's kind of a a tough situation and like so many people have been saying that's just the price of getting better you know you're gonna have guys that other teams want and you know it's it comes to the territory look there there were so many first round picks that were waived uh in the past few days you know Samuel Moray in, in Philadelphia is the first one I, I could think of. There's there's so many others. 
you know, even going back several years that, you know, you know, it's just, it's just what happens. And, you know, I, I wish Noah Jolson the best. Uh, I think that he does have an NHL future uh, ahead of him, but he just needs to play, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in the AHL, whether it's, you know, no matter where he, he and it's not to get into game shape, but, you know, he's an athlete. He's going to be in, in shape. What, but he, you can't, you lose that development time. You lose that, the, the, the reflexes of being in the game. And you, it's, we talked about this a little bit in the world juniors where you saw certain players get better as the year went on because they, they just, the reflexes were there, you know, as the tournament went on where, you know, you don't play in a, a long time, like some of the North American players that you just didn't have that right away. And Jolson doesn't have that right now. He, he's still getting back into game, not game shape in terms of fitness, but game shape in terms of just his physical tools. And that's going to take a while for him more than anybody else because he's gone so long without playing. Yeah. And like I remember when we did uh, the top 25, I had him at number 24, which was far mm-hmm. lower than anyone else. And it was partly because of just this, that I was I was like, obviously, I, I we didn't know at that time how it was going to be with the taxi squad and everything. But I was kind of expecting him to get lost in the shuffle. And that was exactly what happened. I mean, he's still... I mean, people people tend to give Victor Mete an unreasonable amount of hate for some reason. And Victor Mete is still one year younger than Noah yeah. Juleson. We have to remember that. And, and like Victor Mete has considerably more NHL experience, but everyone goes back to those 40 games or whatever that Noah Juleson has played. And he looked like a viable NHL defenseman, but that was two years ago now, even more than that. So at this point, yeah, Florida gets a, you know, a cheap, possibility of of adding a a guy who is I wouldn't call him that young anymore but I mean he has he has potential obviously and uh, we wish him all the best and I I was also I was watching before um, like earlier tonight I was watching a sportsnet's interview with Mark Bergevin and it was interesting to hear because one of the first questions that Eric Engels was asking was when you hit the reset button in in 2018 um, could you then imagine that the team would look this good two and a half years later? And Mark Bergevin's honest answer was no. Like you couldn't imagine like an, uh, the surge of Alexander Romanov or, uh, you know, that uh, Nick Suzuki would even yeah come to Canadians, let alone become a better prospect than Cody Glass. And you know, I all of this kind of... We've seen like Nikita Sherbach went on waivers a couple of seasons ago and he was claimed by LA. And that was the same thing. Like, oh, he's a former first rounder and he didn't pan out. So no one, no one, no one, (laughs) no one goes around and and cries about Sherbach anymore. And we'll see with Juleson. But at this point, like, be happy. As you wrote on Twitter, like, it's very Habs to to be (laughs) upset about losing a former first rounder when the team looks better than it's done in. I would say a decade at least. Yeah, and you mentioned Mete, and and that that's it's interesting because Mete has played 178 professional games, 171 of those in the NHL, where Noah Jolson, and yes, injuries are an issue. He's played 44 NHL games, but he's only played 91 professional games, and like you mentioned, he's a year older than uh, than Mete, and obviously Mete started in the in the NHL a little younger than Jolson as well. And, mm. and, you know, I think we're, we're past the point where you think about first round pick and fourth round pick. Like it yeah. doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> like, no, no one cares that Brendan Gallagher is a fifth round pick. No, exactly. <laughs> no, 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 you, no, you, no, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's like I mean, you you come you you come to a certain point where it's just like, oh, he's just a great player. But yeah. before that, when you're still a talent, it's kind of like, oh, well, I mean, Kale Flurry was elected in the third round, so like, we don't care about the fact that he recently turned 22, but just yeah. like, oh, is he really better than a former first rounder, Noah Juleson? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. It's it's one of those things. But yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot to be excited about. And yeah. and honestly, it's it, it's weird that there's so little drama around this Montreal team right now. There's I'm knocking on wood, but there's no injuries. They had no injuries in camp. They had no um, you know, COVID drama or anything like that. No, it, no one that, claimed for Leak or Perry, which was great as well. Yeah, that, that's that's great as well. And it's 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 a team that is looking so good and i think it's even looking better than most people expected like people when you look at the roster and you see josh anderson you see tyler to yeah. you see all these names and you're like okay it has potential you know yeah. and but then you know there's that doubt in your mind right because anderson only had one goal last year paul byron didn't have a great season a year ago and, and you have that doubt about okay how's kanyemi gonna look how is alan gonna look how are all these guys gonna look and everyone has looked really good <laughs> and yeah. it, it's I, I think that josh anderson in particular is going to raise a lot of eyebrows because we're there's a lot of people who don't know what he can bring including the canadians themselves the, you know everyone asks oh, how was josh he's faster than i thought he's faster than i thought and then you watch him in the scrimmage and it's just it's not only the speed it's the effortless fat way that he's he has that speed and he's he's so big as well. And it's just it, it's fascinating. And and this is the kind of player that Mark Burson has been looking for for years. Yes. And he yes. finally has him. And and I think that the the expectations have gone down a bit. There's been a lot less talk about his new contract, about things like that, right? So and now people are seeing him play and they're like, oh, okay, this could be interesting. And, and I think that that is is something that's going to be very interesting to watch in the early part of the season where you know the team expectations are are very high but i think what's great about this team is that it's not like when jonathan Drouin came in when it was like okay Drouin has to be great otherwise this team is going to fail and and now everybody can kind of chip in and if it's not josh anderson it could be tyler defoley it could be paul byron it could be brendan gallagher it could be thomas tatar it could be nick suzuki it could be esperi kakinyemi i think that we're every line is going to have their ups and downs and, and what's great about this canadians team is that it doesn't really matter who does it like it doesn't matter who leads the league, leads the team in scoring at the end of the year you know, in a perfect world, that it, maybe it'll be everybody like tied for, you know, within five points of each other, because I, I think that's the strength of this team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I have to say, like this week as well, I mean, I have to mention on the podcast that as a Cleveland Browns fan in the NFL, um, I feel the same positive winds blowing from Montreal as I feel from Cleveland at the moment. It just feels very calm, very relaxed, very that you just focused on the task, what you want to bring. Everyone comes to the Canadians this season because they want to win something. They want to prove something and they feel that they have a good mix. We see guys like, we've talked about that before, like guys like Frolik and and Perry, they signed in Montreal because they see something here. And that is exactly what you say. Like out of camp, there have been no negative stories, no drama, no nothing. It's just been focused. And that is something that I would be worried about when it comes to the other Canadian teams. Because like, 
it just feels like the Canadians have this team now that can just go on like four lines for 60 minutes a game and just annoy you. And I'm so looking forward to tomorrow night and watching that first game against Toronto. Like, obviously, it won't be perfect from the start and everything, but I'm just thinking that there is something brewing here that I'm looking forward to watch, especially when we come in March, April, and everything kind of gets more glued together. Yeah, it's the the thing for me is, is that, you know, yes, you have all the pieces put together. It looks like a strong team. And, you know, the players every year say, oh, we have a chance, we're going to be... But but this year, it's different. A, because really, they there's no excuse, right? This no. is a playoff team. This isn't like, oh, you know, we're rebuilding and... And, and everyone like agrees on it. Yeah. From the, the management down. Exactly. You know, this will be... You know, it's always disappointing to miss the playoffs, but this will be a disappointment to miss yes. the playoffs. And I think everyone knows that. Like... You look at the guys like Gallagher and Carey Price and Shea Weber, they know, you know, they've been around here, especially Price and Gallagher, they've been around Montreal to know that this is the chance they have, right? Like, you know, other guys coming in, like, it's great to have them, you know, the young guys, it's great. But but those are the guys who have been here a while and they know, okay, this is different. And, and yeah. I think that that adds a factor to everything right like Carey Price is not going to take a day off he's going to and he knows he doesn't have to be relied on also yeah. right like it, it takes so much pressure off and you know Shea Weber knows that okay all I have to do is, is you know play my game and I don't have to do anything outside of my comfort zone and Gallagher knows that you know he's not even on the first unit on the power play this year and and I think that he knows that there's there's people behind him and, and I think that you, you can't account for that side of things and and we saw it in the playoffs right everybody's game pretty much took a step forward right weber's game took a step forward price's game stuff took a step forward and now they know listen every game here we have a chance and and every game that we we don't win uh is a chance that we miss the playoffs everything's gonna be so close and i i think that you have to look at that as well and and they can sense it and i think that there's there's no reason for people to take, you know, days off or, or worry about it or have that side of the game. I think everyone's going to be ready to play. And, you know, there's going to be ups and downs. Like you said, there's, they're not going to go 56 and 0. Uh, they're not, they're probably going to lose a few games in a row, hopefully not eight games in a row, mm-hmm. um, especially twice, because that's yeah. you know, almost half the season. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, th- this team is built to, to perform and, you know, they have, contingencies in place and and that's something that i mentioned before is a is a something that happened because last year the season went down when they lost durant they lost byron now you lose durant you just move up to foley or armia or byron you know you lose byron then you just put in uh you you know you don't it's a fourth line role it's not like a, a you know a a role in the top six or middle, even middle six, you know, you could put a, a, a Jordan wheel or a Belzeal or Paling or, or Perry or for I didn't even mention those guys. I f- forgot about them for a second. You, you put in a for or a Perry in that spot, as opposed to, you know, what they would have had last year You know, on the penalty kill, you know, Byron goes out, you have Evans, you have Anderson, you have guys who have been playing on the penalty kill for, for a while, Armia, and Anderson could be a great penalty killer, you know, with his speed and, and his size. And he's already been used with Philip Deneau on the first unit. You know, you, you lose a guy who plays on the power play. You can put Corey Perry in the lineup 
and and he can play on the power play. You're not looking at you know Jordan Wheel and, and Nick Cousins in, in those roles. And I, I just think there's there's so much redundancy. Ben Chirac goes down. You have Edmondson. Edmondson goes down. You have Chirac. It, it, it you know or vice versa. You have Kulak. Uh, you have Mete, who's not even in the regular lineup at this point, or at least not expected to be, at least every day. And, and I think that there's so much here that it's not just the depth one to 12 because they had arguably that depth in previous years, one to 12. The difference is now is that they have it one to 14, 15. And that is where, you know, they didn't have to get Tyler to fully, right. They didn't have to get him, but getting him makes this team like even more uh, prepared for, for anything that's going to happen. And listen, there's going to be guys out of the lineup. You know, you mentioned the Cleveland Browns. They, they have had, whole position groups out of the lineup yep. uh, for, for games, <laughs> including in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, the game just happened. I remember Bacon Rayfield saying saying that uh, he had to introduce himself <laughs> to one of the guys who played right before the game. Yeah, Blake, Blake Hans was signed up yeah. there stay and yeah. Baker uh, set, introduced himself to him right before the game. And then yeah. he had to enter in the game as well. It was fantastic. Exactly. And, and it's funny because Blake, Blake, uh, Baker said, yeah, there's this guy named Blake that I introduced myself before the game. Like that, that's literally yeah. what he said. So, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's, it's there's things are going to happen. And I think yeah. especially in the Canadian division, where, you know, if this was a regular year and you had Tampa and Boston and Toronto, you'd be like, okay, Montreal be in tough to make the top three in, in that kind of setup. You know, they'd be fighting in the wild card. Now you have Toronto, which is probably a little bit ahead, let's be honest, uh, in terms of what their potential is. Their floor is higher than any other team in the division. You have, you have teams like Edmonton and Calgary who are expecting to, to do well. Vancouver is probably expecting to make the playoffs. So is Winnipeg. And like I mentioned on the podcast with, um, I forget which podcast it was, but I, I can see, you know, maybe one team or, or two teams passing the Canadians. I don't know if I see four teams passing the Canadians. And that's and that's the difference between making the playoffs and not making the playoffs this year, right? So it, it's going to be really interesting to see. And 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 I do think that, you know, yes, things can go horribly wrong. We, we've been there before, but I just, it, it's going to take a lot more for that to happen this year. And they're in a good spot. Let's, let's be honest. I think as well that it's uh, it's a great position that the Canadians are in because, because of the fact that they don't have that star power that the Oilers have or that the Maple Leafs have, um, or even as the Canucks have with Elias Pettersson and, and Brock Besser, um, I think that the Canadians are being slept on by both the Canadian division to some extent and by experts, which makes it easier to just like um, be able to just create a good team. Um, I think that experts in general just overvalue having one good line or, you know, one good defensive pairing or a really good goaltender. And if there is something we've learned and that Mark Bergevin seemed to have learned by now, it is that you're not stronger than your weakest link. Uh, over a long season, I mean, even if it's only 56 games this season, there, as you say, there are so many things that can, can go wrong during that span of three or four or five months. And I think that what speaks for the Canadians as an advantage this season is that you can't really find any holes, as you say. Like, all right, Carey Price goes down. Yeah, it's obviously a 
setback, but you still have Jake Allen. So Jake Allen is a capable NHL goaltender. I mean, he would be a starter on half of the teams in the league, I would say. And you have him as your backup now. That's great. As you say, like, if one of the defensemen goes down, like, it would be awful to lose a Shea Weber or a Jeff Petrie. But now at least you have seven or eight capable NHL defensemen and even some who have higher pedigree than that. If some of the like forwards go down, like you have depth on both your center position and on your wing. And as you said with Tyler Toffoli, that, that signing was what really made me hopeful for this season because just getting someone like Josh Anderson was, you know, like, I mean, it was, it was, it was a scary contract at first, but when you look at when you look at the fact, like basically he would be an unrestricted, unrestricted free agent in a year. So it was basically yeah. you were forced, uh, like he forced your hand. It was either signing for one year and let him walk or signing for seven years to a somewhat lower cap hit. And I think like if I was Mark Bergevin, I would probably have done the same. And we'll see if that pans out. But it was still like, it was a guy who only scored one goal last season. And then it's, you know, all of this, like, oh, will Kotkaniemi and, and will uh, Suzuki be able to, like, replicate what they did in the playoffs? But then when they signed Tyler Toffoli, it was just like, oh, they are really going for it this season. They really believe in what they have right now. And I would say before the Toffoli signing, I would probably have said, like, oh, the Canadians are a good team, but they lack scoring. We don't know about Josh Anderson and we don't know who's going to put the puck in the net. We know that they have playmakers. We know that they have a good defense. And we know now with the Jake Allen that they have two capable goalies. But with Toffoli, I mean, he's not a star or anything, but he's just like a really good NHL winger. And he can play on both sides. And it's just like, oh, now they are actually going to be able to put put down someone like Armia or, or Byron or Lekkonen on the fourth line and just... You know, they they won't lose a step no matter who plays this season. And, like, obviously, yeah, there are stronger and there are, like, slightly weaker players on the team. But, like, we're only a season or so back from, like, Paul Byron and, and Lekken and playing, like, top Second six nine minutes. minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, cra- it's crazy to think how, how much has changed. And I... And I, it, it, I I don't want to know what would have happened if the season ended like normal, but it's not unrealistic to expect like the team to, that would, they would have had like Marco Scandella on, on the, yeah. on the back end or, or Ilya Kovalchuk at, at four. Like that would have been their big free agent signing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I, yeah, think I, I want it, to ask you, like, I want to ask you just on that. Uh, do you think that any team in the league have benefited as much from like the COVID break as Montreal seem to have done now with like, how the, how far they've come since the COVID break? Absolutely not. Like no. it, you you could have made the argument for Chicago because they also made the playoffs uh, and you yep. know, surprised people. But then you know they they're definitely tapes and Doc. Yeah. Not, yeah, not even that, but, but even just you know going with Subban and Delia as their goalies, like they're not yeah. they're not trying to make the playoffs again this year, right? So maybe, maybe Corey Crawford can can come back again. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's just like yeah, Montreal a hundred hundred and fifty percent. It completely changed the whole outlook on the franchise, which is remarkable and crazy to think about. But I think that it gave Mark Bergman just enough to be like, okay now's the time and and it was the perfect thing because the market collapsed as well right like Tyler Toffoli 
could have easily gotten a Josh Anderson contract, I think, uh, in free agency in a normal situation. Yeah, like, there's there's no reason to believe he couldn't have gotten five point five. Uh, and we saw that we saw that just like this week when Mike Hoffman signed a one year deal yeah. at four million. Right. So like I mean Toffoli actually I mean he he got a good deal if we compare to what Hoffman had to settle for. So yeah yeah like you know yeah this was the season to go for it. And and, and I think it was just a perfect storm right because they had the cap space they they saw the opportunities around the league and it's just like I could just see Mark Bergman like in his office being like yes. This is what mm-hmm. I've been waiting for. And, and yeah. it's not only that he spent the money because it's not about spending the money. It's that he spent it in all the right places. Like yeah. as soon as the playoffs ended, right? If you would have asked me, what should Mark Bergevin do? I would okay, add defense because you can't yeah. go into a season expecting Xavier Willett to play a regular role for you. And yes, they had Romanov coming, but you know, whatever. You're one injury away from Willett being in the lineup, right? This is a team that, let's be honest, they missed Carl Alsner in the postseason yeah. Yeah. When he opted out, they were kind of like when when he opted out and Romanov wasn't eligible. They're like, uh, what do we do now? <laughs> Basically, yeah. right? They had Christian Foline for a bit. Like they just didn't know what to do with, with that spot. So I definitely think that you know that was one thing they had to do. They got Joel Edmondson. Uh, you saw what arrested Carey Price can do. They got a good backup goaltender and Jake Allen. And also, like, say what you want about Joel Edmondson, but he's a capable NHL defenseman that you can slot into any pairing and he will do a yeah. solid job. He doesn't have to carry this team, right? That's what no. Petrie's for. That's what Weber's for. That's what yep. maybe Romanov is for. Like, He doesn't have to carry a pairing. Like, he just has to be there and be big and push people out of the way. Like, that's that's all he has to do. And so, you know, where where I'm going to be interested, you know, look at the penal, look at the power plays they're going to have to face. You mentioned all the talent in this division. You know, a guy like Edmondson, is, and he was signed or, and traded for before we even knew this was going to happen. But, you know, the penalty kill needs to be better. <laughs> and so that's that's going to be uh, a big a big factor. And, you know, he doesn't have to be a, a number one defenseman. He, he just has to be what he's been doing. And kind of like Ben Chirot a little bit yeah. as well. You know, you don't you don't have to be a number one defenseman to play with Shea Weber or Jeff Petrie. You just have to do your job and let them do the rest. And and I think that that's that's what he's going to be doing. And you know, you saw what Kulak can do in the play, playoffs as well. And, and yeah, I think that, yeah. I, I think the Kulak Romanov pairing is going to be great. So th- those are two things. Then you knew that you had the forward depth had had to improve because you weren't going to use Dale Weiss and Charles Houdon and Alex Belzil. Like they're all great guys, but you don't want them to be your, your first options by default. No. So no. you need to improve that as well. So he basically did all of that. <laughs> like th- that's just the check, 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 and check with Toffoli, Anderson, Edmondson, and Allen. Then you add for and Perry to even bolster the, the reinforcements. And, and it's just, you know, there's, there's nothing this was the biggest offseason for Mark Bergevin, but it's also the best offseason for Mark Bergevin yeah. in terms of just refining what he needs. And he, you know, there, there's some years when you see what he does and you're like, okay, what's his, what's his plan? Yeah. And in this case, the plan was clear because it's exactly what I would have done, you know, looking at this team after the postseason. He he took all the right notes from that, from the, the postseason. And, and it's, I think that's why I'm excited personally is just because there, there's nothing... I don't know what he could have done better, to be honest. No, exactly. Like adding Frolik and Perry on like basically dime for a dollar. um, 
like in last minute and then having them go go through waivers unclaimed it's just the tip of the iceberg like in a positive way it's just like oh like you thought about that as well that it's you know it's it's going to be an intense season and having that kind of uh, experience on a taxi squad, it's just going to be great. As you said, like we don't want to be in a situation where like the 12 looks really good, but then you have to like throw up an Alex Belsil who has only played a handful of NHL uh, playoff games at this point. Like we don't like, there is not enough experience on the AHL team that you can just throw in and the team won't possibly suffer. And and it's just like having a Corey Perry who was like he was a Stanley Cup finalist uh, dur- during this summer or during this fall. Like I mean, it's just yeah, that kind of depth uh, is why I yeah I I really believe in in what the Canadians are doing this winter. Yeah, and you know it, it's famous last words, right? Like it's possible that everything will go wrong. <laughs> um, you know, Price and Allen will like you know, get injured at the same time and they have to go with like Lindgren and Primo. We have Caden and Primo. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it just, you know, it, it's, you know, everything does seem, and you're kind of waiting for like the other shoe to drop, right? Like even, even in, in training camp, it's like, okay, you know, someone's going to get hurt and then it's like, no one gets hurt. And it's like, okay. And, and it's just, you know, you look at, you know, cat friendly as an example, and they have a list of like injuries and it's like, once you all zero, it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, it's, it's going well. And, you know, like I said, this team is going to face adversity. It's not going to go well all year. Uh, I mean, it may be, well, but I, I, you can't expect that. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, but yeah, you know, I don't remember being looking this forward to a season and, and I've been, this is my, I think fifth year that I was on the prize mm-hmm. and it's by far the most excited that the group is <laughs> before a season uh, that I can remember and I think a lot of it is just the everything seems to be like there's redundancies in place, right? And, and I think that's a big thing. And I, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier on about how people are, are sleeping on the depth of the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that you're going to see a lot differently. I think this year might change a lot of that because you're seeing the same teams eight, nine times. Right. You might, you know, if you see Arturi Lekkinen and Paul Byron twice a year, or even, you know, six times a year in the old, you know, okay, whatever, you know, you're not really used to whatever, you know, just third, fourth liners, whatever. But when you see them like three nights in a row or two nights in a row and and nine times in a season, that's when you get an appreciation for some of these guys. You see it in the playoffs, right? You know, nobody cared about Thomas Placanitz. And then, you know, he shuts down Sidney Crosby in a series and like, oh, this guy is good. It's like, yeah, he's good. You know, he's been playing all year. And I think that, you know, it's always like that. Every market likes their deaf guys more. You know, you see it with waivers, right? Oh, we can't yeah. lose this guy on waivers. And then he goes on waivers and nobody claims him. Um, everybody likes their deaf people better than the other team's deaf people because it's from that familiarity. But, yeah. but I, I do think that this, I'm looking forward to getting to know the same six teams, seven teams with Montreal and seeing them and seeing how they adjust. And it, it's going to put coaching on the forefront because you're not going to surprise anybody anymore. You know, the tactics are not going to surprise anybody. You're going to need to make adjustments. And it's even going into the playoffs, you're not, you're going to see people that you've played, you know, but by the end of the first round, you're going to see a team 11 times at least yeah. or 12 times at least. It, it, it's going to be intense. And I think, and what I'm looking forward to is just seeing these players. You know, you mentioned the talent throughout the division. 
it's it's the future of hockey is in this division. The, yeah. You know, Austin Matthews, and there's there's good young players outside this division as well. I'm not saying that it's all it's all in Canada, but there, there's a lot of good young talent in this division. Even Montreal has it as well with, with Suzuki and Romanov, and it, it's going to be a lot of fun to see uh, how this team develops because. You know how long have we been waiting for Alexander Romanov to, to play in Montreal? You know it, it's it's been a while, and and you know Patrick's not here tonight, but you know he he's been waiting he's been waiting a little bit longer than most of us, and yeah. you know it's just all these things are starting to come together, and and that's why you know on top of everything else going on and the lack of things and you know whatever and you know just happy hockey's back, but there, there's an extra an extra oomph around the Montreal Canadiens. And, and I think that that's, it's, it, you know, whatever happens, happens. But, you know, I, I don't think, I, I'm, I'm somebody who likes to look at the process rather than the results. And the process was perfect. <laughs> it might not work out, but I, I'm, I'm not going to blame uh, Mark Bergevin for, you know, for not making the playoffs this year. Like, let, depending on what happens, like who knows what's going to happen. But, um, and he's obviously going to be the fall guy, right? For yeah, yeah, the teammates, yeah. but 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 I don't know. Yeah, but the question is done, as well. Like, I would have done anything is, differently. No, no, I was just going to ask. Like, will he be the fall guy? Because like at this point, I just feel like what could he have done differently? <laughs> yeah. But like, if the team fails, the question is how much of that will be on the coaching staff? Yeah, because like exactly. I know that Mark Bergevin has been there. Now this is his ninth season, I think, if I count correctly, from 2012 and onwards, and like obviously like a lot can go wrong but at this point it's just like he has managed uh, a quality reset which was what he said he would do in 2018 when everyone just laughed at the Montreal Canadiens for being stupid and not just rebuilding from the ground up um but he has done it and he has done it well um but it's just like I mean you can have all the talent on the team but if the like we've seen the power play falter in the past we've seen the penalty kill not work we've seen just management decisions go wrong um, during a game game management, like in a game management way. And I'm just wondering, like, I, I really like Claude Julien and I really like um, what he has been able to do since the reset, that when he's actually changed his demeanor as a coach, which isn't easy to do when you're like 60 years old. But I'm just wondering, like, who will be the fall guy? I know that Molson and, and, and uh, Bergevin have a very close relationship and they like each other a lot so i'm just wondering like will bergevin really be the fall guy because as you say the process has been perfect and now it's up to the players and the coaches to actually do the appropriate thing with it yeah you know i i I definitely think if the team doesn't make the playoffs there's going to be a change whether it's claude julien or whether it's mark bergevin or both something's going to change uh whether it's putting in more you know new blood or, or whatever you have to do but I, I see this season as kind of the equivalent of of putting the Ojulson on waivers, right? You're ho- you're hoping that nobody claims them, and you're hoping that the Montreal Canadiens make the playoffs. If they don't, and if he does get claimed, what was the alternative, right? Yeah. And and I think that that's something to look at as well. And it's it's interesting because so many people don't look at Mark Bergevin in terms of in terms of you know, the, since the reset, they take everything into the account and, you know, they take the last, you know, nine years into yeah. account. And 
in a way, you know, I, it's unfair to him because it's like, okay, you know, people like pointing at their watch, like the, the judge duty gift, right? Okay. We're waiting. Let's go get, get us a playoff team. Uh, and eventually, you know, as good as he, a job as he has done, eventually you need results on the ice. Of course, and, yeah. and whether that's because of coaching or, or whatever, it still comes to him. So I do think he'll get some blame, even yeah. you know, just just for how he manages this season, right? Because if things go really badly this season, right, he'll have to do something. You know, he just can't be like, oh, well, I did my work in the offseason. It's up to you. <laughs> you know, um, you know, the, the answer's in the room. Go, <laughs> you know, like yeah. um, he said that before. But in this context, I, I don't think it'll work. Like he still has to manage it, you know, um, and, and I think that. You know, if things falter, I, there probably will be a coaching change depending on what happens. And, you know, there's so many factors. It depends. It, I'll put it this way. It depends how they miss the playoffs, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if it just turns out that everybody is just not as good as we thought they were, then that still comes to him, right? Yeah, so, yeah, sure, um, sure. yeah, I think he'll get some blame. I think Claude Julien will get a lot of blame as well. And yeah, yeah. if they miss the playoffs, what I will say is that I will be very surprised if they're both back. Uh, but that, that's that's for sure i agree 100 percent. like i mean they won't like both of them won't make it past this season if the canadians don't make it into the playoffs yeah we saw today that the canadians could be one of the one of the teams in the mix for pierre-luc dubois and i'm <laughs> okay. just wondering like i, I guess we uh, should talk about that <laughs> yeah a little bit just because i'm wondering yeah. like because from my point of view like i'm just wondering would you really want to make that trade considering like how much you would actually have to give up when you have two surging centers on your team? I don't know if I would. I, I, I said this in the comments uh, yeah. at eyes on the prize. I'm happy. It's not my decision to make because yeah. it's not an easy decision either way. Uh, in, unless it's a slam dunk, uh, obvious deal, you know, like it's, unless like you know columbus is asking for players you don't like or, or whatever like i'm looking at a realistic scenario yeah and it's a really tough decision to make and if i was mark bergevin i would rather wait until the end of the season to make that decision Definitely. uh a because you have more cap flexibility in, in terms of what you can do what you want to do and and things like that uh, there's not a much a lot of cap space to let, let's say you trade a, a cut Kimi or a Suzuki or Romanov. I'm just giving examples. Pierre Luc Dubois makes a lot more money than they do, yep. so you know to, just to even out the salary in season is going to be difficult. It's possible, but it's going to be difficult. So just from that perspective, I'd like to wait to the end of the season. I'd also like to wait till the end of the season just to see exactly what you have in Suzuki and what you have in Kakaniemi, because. You don't want to make a decision too soon and say trade one of them. Uh, and if you do trade one of them, you want to make sure you trade the right one. So, yeah, you know, I, I understand wanting Pierre-Luc Dubois. Absolutely. I understand not wanting Pierre-Luc Dubois for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, and I'm just happy it's not my decision to make because this is a, if he makes this trade, it's bigger than the Pacioretty trade. It's bigger than the Subban trade, and it has the potential to change this organization for a longer period of time. And I, I don't. I'm happy it's not my decision to make. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not too familiar with Pierre Luc Dubois in terms of, you know, how good he really is. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think it's very difficult to do 
in season. Uh, having said that, you know, if the draft is in Montreal, that's a pretty good time to, to acquire a French Canadian center, unless his name is Louis LeBlanc. Um, <laughs> but I'm just, <laughs> not, not, like, not, 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 not to pile on Louis LeBlanc. I, I like no. to pick, you know, but yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good time to do it. But yeah, I mean, it's, I'm happy it's not my decision because it, it it's, it's an impossible question to answer right now in my mind. Yeah, it is. It is. And I feel like, you know, having seen what we've seen, like, obviously, it's easy to recency bias and all that and forget that Jesper Kotskaniemi struggled, for example, for a large portion of his uh, of his sec- sophomore season. Um, but uh, also, like, you know, we saw Nick Suzuki just bloom into a, a quality top six NHL center in his rookie season. And we don't know how a sophomore slump could potentially be and all that. But I'm just wondering, like, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I'm just I, I can see a scenario where like Philippe Dano would be like uh, someone you would offer, for example, because he only has one year left on his deal. Um, but like then you would break up arguably the best line that the Canadians have. If Dano was a centerpiece of the trade, it, it, yeah. in a heartbeat, I, I don't see why Columbus would do that though. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah. like, I, I mean, yeah. if you would or it, like if you would have like a quality prospect, Philippe Dano, and a first-round pick. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that would be enough. Uh, if, like, that, that comes down to, like, what other teams would obviously offer mm-hmm. and what what the Columbus Blue Jackets... Like, if Pierre-Luc Dubois really wants out of Columbus, basically. Yeah. Um, but I'm just wondering, at the same time, like, um, he will have to get paid again soon, and you will have other young centers who will have to get paid as well. And you would break up a chemistry between Tomas Tatar, um, Philippe Tano, and, and Brendan Gallier, which is like, that is a line that can take down basically any line in the NHL. It's not the yeah. best line on a player-by-player basis, but it's one of the most shutdown lines in the league when it just comes to those three together. And bringing in someone like Pierre-Luc Dubois, I feel like it would possibly like just screw up the... You know, all this that we've been talking about, just like the team is, it, it just feels like the puzzle pieces fit in every in every way. Like, you know, if one line struggles, you can just like shuffle it around and everything. Like bringing in someone like Dubois, I'm just wondering, like, we have two young centers already who have the potential of becoming Pierre-Luc Dubois in a couple of years time. Mm-hmm. Give them time and develop and and don't put another center in front of them who will just like yeah just give them lesser time like there is yeah. an obvious obvious possibility that Dano leaves after the season because he wants to get paid and I understand that but uh, in that case you have like the succession already already mm-hmm. on the team yeah I, I I I I'm I believe that if they have to acquire Dubois sorry if they acquire Dubois they, they have to trade Suzuki or Kakinami yeah. that, that's the thinking I have um and again I'm not in the room and you know it's you know, you know, it's it's such a hard decision to make because Pierre-Luc Dubois is a really good player. I'm just thinking yes, back yeah. to, to that Toronto series uh, and him basically single-handedly um, defeating the Maple Leafs. You know, not yeah. single-handedly, but more or less. You know, he, he was he had more big goals in that series than, than anybody else. And, and I just think that it, it's, it's a move that can make sense. I'm not a huge believer in chemistry. I, I think that you, you acquire the pieces and then you just figure it out after. I right. don't think that it's going to really make that much of a difference. I think, I think you can put Dubois on that line and they'll be even better 
Um, you, you look at where he's lined up in Columbus. It'll be better offensively, at least. Well, I think it'll be Dubois a, a two way center. I, I think he'll yeah, be I know, okay. I know. And, and yeah. you know, it's interesting because you do have Joel Bouchard, who coached uh, Dubois in Boisbriand. He was his yeah. last junior coach. Um, so that's a factor as well. He knows that the player obviously is not going to go to Laval, but but he no. knows the player. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's impossible to say whether it's a good move or not, because you don't know what the move is. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's where I'm happy. When it's, it's not my decision to make. And, you know, I, I'm not in those, in those um, discussions, but yeah, I mean, it, it really depends, but yeah, I mean, it's I, there's a there's an argument for it there's an argument against it and it's really one of those things that it, it has a potential to work out for both teams if it does happen and yeah and as as we spoke about before as well you have a tendency all of us have tendencies since we're fans um and supporters of our own teams like you have a tendency to overvalue your own especially your own young players you want to see Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi and Alexander Romanov Matthias Norlinder all of those players succeed Cole Caulfield succeed in the Canadians jersey right and I remember for example when when Max Domi was traded for Josh Anderson and a third um no Max Domi and a third for Josh Anderson this this fall I was just like Josh Anderson, that's all you got back for Max Domi, really? And just because, like, you overvalue someone like Max Domi, because, like, you you think of him as a 70-point center, and all he got, like, was a big winger who had had only scored one goal in in a season and, and had been injury-prone. And then you start to, like, look into it and everything, and you become quite satisfied with the trade at the end. But I'm just saying, like, if Pierre-Luc Dubois would be traded i i have faith now in the canadians management team to that extent that i would believe that they know considerably better than me um what they are doing so like if they believe that it's the right way to go i will fully support it uh i i would just it, it would break my heart a little to see someone like kotkaniemi or suzuki or yeah whoever had to go cole caulfield for that matter well, I, I mean, we, we know that Bergevin has, has wanted Dubois for a long time. It's been rumored that if Columbus didn't take him third overall, Montreal was trading for that fourth pick. Uh, and, you know, yeah. at the time, the rumor was, you know, maybe the ninth pick, maybe it was P.K. Subban. Uh, there are lots of things that were, were on the table at that point. But, you know, they're, they're in a different universe. If Jesse Puyarvi was a Columbus Blue Jacket right now, uh, there's a good chance that Pierre Dubois would already be a Canadian. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that can change uh, what's going on, but uh, yeah, you know, you, you can be sure that whatever happens, we'll have a lot of analysis <laughs> for it. And, and I'm sure as the season goes on, as the rumors go on, uh, there will be even more uh, talk about what, what would happen if it's a good move. Uh, but for now, we're about a few hours away from the first game of the season in Toronto. It will mean something. It, which is oh. weird to say about the first game of the season because usually it's preseason, but there's actual hockey going on. And, and I know, you know, obviously you can tell that we're excited. Uh, we hope you are as well. And we'll have lots of podcasts for you on um, absent-minded throughout the season, a lot more than we usually would. Uh, Anton will be around a lot, Patrick as well. So let us know what you want to hear, what you want to see see on the website which guests you like and and don't like yeah which guests you like we're here to listen to you this is a podcast for you it's not for us so let us know either in the comments on twitter uh you know where to find us 
Uh, enjoy all the coverage on HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Enjoy the hockey. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time on Habs and Monday.